How are the book sales doing, Greg? Not good. <laughs> Not good. Oh no. Yeah, uh, they're oh, doing no. well uh, on the ebook. On Amazon, mm-hmm. it's doing particularly well. However, my publisher and I, we printed, uh, we were expecting Half-Blood Prince level sales. Um, oh, no. Not, not Deathly Hollow sales. I mean, that, we're, not, we're not that ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, kind of more medium level uh, or mid-level Harry Potter books. Um, and we have not met those expectations. And now we are at a lot of cash. Ouch. Well, build a time machine and go back to 2014. Mm-hmm. Throw some vampires in there and boom. <laughs> 2004, no, 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 John. The first Twilight book came out in 2007, I think. Oh yeah, but like the 2014, that's when it was cresting, right? No. If anything, if anything, it's kind of leveled out. I watch the culture like a meteorologist, okay? So I think I know the trends pretty darn well. All right. I was at the last bookstore here in downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> Shout out is Spotlight, like, the last bookstore. Hold on, hold on. Is it actually literally called the last bookstore, or Indeed is it, it literally is. the last bookstore? No, okay. it's it, uh, it's literal and figurative. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah, and I found in the sci-fi section what I should have done is labeled it like book one of the of the Spesperia Chronicles. <laughs> And then promise like and, and promise eight other editions after that. I w- I would have read it if that were the case. Yeah, they're fun. Those books are fun. <laughs> I mean, the the weird sci-fi books in general that only ne- nerds read. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of them. Please, <laughs> no. Welcome to Aspiring Snobs, a podcast for not nerds. Yeah, <laughs> only alphas <laughs> here. <laughs> no cucks allowed. Yeah. <laughs> we're only proud boys here. Proud Indeed boys. We are. Indeed, we are proud boys who love sports. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sports. No taking a knee for us. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's not date this. Yeah, let's not date this episode enough. John, in fact, it's the last week of the baseball season. Yes, it is. And with that in mind, we decided to watch a baseball movie. Yes. Uh, my vote was for Eight Men Out, but instead Greg decided to go another White Sox adjacent movie. Yes. We went with. Uh, how about one that people have heard of? How about that? Okay, fine. We went with Field of Dreams. What was that? What was that? That voice just now. What was it? We didn't hear anything. I can already tell from the tone of your voice. You were a no, mega fan on. of this movie. Okay. I uh, Here's the thing. I was fascinated by this movie. I just want to know the whole production history. Okay. On how a middling, TV-ready <laughs> Sunday night family movie that was meant to air on ABC ended up transposed onto film and ended up in theaters. It's amazing. Like, was it osmosis? Was it some kind of chemical accident? I just don't know. Don't besmirch the good name of those Sunday night ABC movies. Like Noah starring Tony Danza. All right, those are full of good, solid family values and production values. And hang on, I I, I object to your equating this with a simple TV movie of the week. The production mm. values are stunning. Uh, yeah, but the level of schmaltz is through the roof. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> I, will, I won't contest that. We should probably explain that, yes, this is a basic cable classic, and that's how we've, how we've experienced it. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time I can recall actually sitting through it from beginning to end. Exactly. Me as well. And uh, I did not enjoy it all that much. 
for other reasons that we'll get into. Okay. But, uh, uh, namely surface, that you're not a huge baseball fan. <laughs> no, it's not just that. Okay. There's there's a lot subtextually that's going on that I just don't agree with. Okay. I guess we'll I guess we'll get to that in the further discussion. Um, by way of explanation, mm-hmm. the movie stars Kevin Costner as a kind of reluctant farmer. He's a he's a former hippie slash beatnik. You know, was a child of the '60s, um, or at mm-hmm. least what the movie assumes the '60s, what they can what it can generalize about the '60s culture is. Who now lives on a farm in Iowa, and starts to hear voices, and the voices beckon him to build a baseball field in spite of the fact that uh in well so- it's it's not specific <laughs> that's true the voice is if you build it he will come yes and that's when he envisions a baseball field in this giant cornfield mm-hmm. and which will take a valuable farm real estate and won't host any actual baseball games yet he uh he decides to pursue this crazy vision this crazy dream yep this all takes place in the first 10 minutes of the movie yeah um yeah that's it it doesn't it it brushes it john it's got a lot on his mind <laughs> it's got a lot to get to yes it does because the whole I, I, th- I think that's what kind of set me off at the very beginning of the film is that this idea that he's hearing voices and he's driven to do something that's completely irrational like that should be treated with suspicion or at least a little bit of dissonance and instead it's just kind of like oh shucks i guess i'll build this ballpark and his and his wife, you know, God, she's immediately most, on board. Yeah, the most understanding woman on the <laughs> planet. <laughs> yeah, I I chalk that up to kind of the tone of the movie, which which I feel is somewhat of a fable. Mm-hmm. Like I I can't even remember Kevin Costner's character's name at this point. <laughs> no. I mean, it might as well be it might as well be just him and wife and daughter and so I I evil, kind of evil brother-in-law. Yes, smarmy the uh, banking brother-in-law. Ginger. So what does that tell you? Yeah. So I can I can kind of chalk it up to that, and we'll forgive that if you can kind of go along with the tone that it's trying to set, and the the fable story that it's trying to tell. Mm. And so yeah, I mean it's it's kind of immune from that cynicism, I think. Yeah, but don't fables usually have a lesson? Sure they do. Or at least some conflict. Follow the voices in your head. <laughs> Be crazy. Go nuts. Yes. Well, the conflict but, the conflict that does arise is as you as you alluded to the bank managers who say like, "Hey, you're, we're going to floor close on your uh, farm because now you're producing way less crop because you have a, a useless baseball field in the middle of it." <laughs> okay, but there's no conflict in the story that is not resolved by the end of the scene. Uh, that's a good point because yes, as, <laughs> so as he, you say, he builds the, this the movie's kind of rushing to conclusions, and yes, it requires the wife to be immediately understanding other characters who. Uh, Kevin Costner explains his dream to, they have to be immediately understanding. Like, yeah, scenes do have to reach a conclusion. Yeah, so every, like, every scene begins like this. Like, I'm hearing these voices, and the wife is like, you're crazy. He's like, I think they're telling me to build a ballpark. And she's like, what? That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> and then, again, like they run into this financial trouble because it's like now they have so much less land to use. And then, you know, oh, the scene begins. Oh, no, what are we going to do for next year? And then that's when they see a person on the field. Yeah, I've, I've, John, I was about to say, I can understand you not caring, you uh, can't get hung up on motivation and things like that in this fantasy movie. <laughs> this is also a fantasy film. Yeah, it's a and fantasy film. And why don't you, John, film, why don't you but... just live the fantasy, live the dream, as it were? Okay. It's not a fantasy film, all right? We're going to get to it. This is a Reagan-era ad masquerading <laughs> as a movie, Okay. <laughs> 
I feel bad for equating it to a Sunday night film. This no, this is this is just a early '80s Reagan-esque propaganda piece. That's what this really is. <laughs> well, I was yes at the at the final scene we see that yes it's it's all about achieving your dream and turning it into a capitalist enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just that. In the quick little interlude we get at the beginning, which is just completely done in voiceover, because we have a lot of places to go. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. As efficient as possible. Mm-hmm. It implies that, you know, he was a beatnik, he was a hippie, he went to Berkeley. Ooh. Whoa. And now, Probably filled and with now, atheist professors. <laughs> I know. Gross. And as the movie begins proper, we find he has settled down to this nice rural life, connecting back into the thing that makes America great. Very pastoral, yes. Yes, and throughout the movie, he has to realize he has to reconnect with the American dream, what his father wanted him to do, what the greatest generation wanted him to do, that 1950s spirit that has been lost. And that means casting aside all that nonsense we thought about in the 60s, all that liberalism. Ooh, gross, what a waste I, of time. I don't think so. <laughs> now, John, you're, you're, not even, you're not even getting to... Well, first we should explain that, yes, the, the dream is real. <laughs> uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson and a bunch of other uh, ball players from the teens and, and 20s uh, actually emerge on the field, and this is like their version of heaven now. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't set foot off the field, but yes, uh, Kevin Costner and his family are essentially helping them uh, live out this heavenly life on the ball field. Mm-hmm. And yes, you are right about that, that it's trying to return to something pastoral and, and uh, nostalgia for the past. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's as one-sided as you claim, or, or as polemic as you're making it right now. See, at first I didn't think it was until they introduced the character of J.D. South. Oh, I'm sorry, Terrence Mann. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the, the novel on which this movie is based, the main character runs into J.D. Salinger, the reclusive author. Mm-hmm. Um, to basically help him live his dream of uh, <laughs> basically projecting that J.D. Salinger, all he really wanted to do was just play baseball. <laughs> of course. And not be a, an author emblematic of the time. No, of course not. Because, yeah. again, when we meet him, oh, you know, he's so jaded. Again, looks back at that period with regret. Well, this, I yeah, have this, no answers for you, he, he claims. I have he, no answers for you. This author that he meets, because it's not J.D. Salinger anymore. He threatened legal action if they tried to make a movie with him in it. <laughs> yes. So now it's now the character's name is Terrence Mann. Oh, and here's the extra layer that I love so much. Yeah. They made him black and made him kind of a beatnik slash civil rights leader. Great. Yes. I, so what was your objection to that? Because, again, like, the whole point of the character is that he's lived a life of regret. He looks back at the 50s and 60s like, oh, what a waste of time. Not, not a wa- what a waste of time. It's, if, if anything, he has time now <laughs> to live those dreams. <laughs> if anything, because you, you talking said... about? He, no, he becomes a recluse. He becomes so disenfranchised with it. No, then he becomes, he becomes a, a wage slave. <laughs> because then he moves into computer, computers and... and um, e-learning and things like that and and he's obviously dissatisfied with that career path that he's taken as well mm. so i, I, I that, disagree with your notion that this is somehow like celebrating reagan era america oh it absolutely is well no it's again it's, that's it, no, what it's reagan ran it's on. obviously invoking a nostalgia for the past but i think it, no. it founds a nice balance between as you said maybe the greatest generation and and living this fantasy of baseball but also uh this notion of the 60s and also uh kind of misjudging authority and things like that no but it's not celebrating that it's saying that was like a misstep really you think so oh absolutely because again what is the ultimate goal of the movie we have to get kevin costner back to reconnect with his father 
because what happened in his past? He didn't pursue his father's dream for him. <laughs> Instead, he went to Berkeley to be part of the me generation. And that's what Reagan ran on. Like, that's what the 80s were all about. It was about this return to the 1950s nostalgia because, oh, the 60s, don't we all no, it was that? A, yeah, no, it we was, all smoked anything, some it was dupe, a revival but... of the 60s. It's, the, it's no, this 20-year cycle not, no, that we have. No, that's it was why, not the revival. That's why everyone's yeah, obsessed They elected with... Ronald Reagan because they're like, yeah, he reminds me of JFK. <laughs> no, it's uh, partially, yeah. No. Just a vision of a square so jaw <laughs> white man with a closed crop. You are so full of shit. Your eyes are brown. You have no idea what you're talking about. Sure I do. I know exactly what I'm talking about. These things have a 20-year cycle. Why do you think they're bringing back all these? Yeah, Greg, that's right what now? everyone remembers about the 80s. It was like a revival of the 60s. Sure, it was. No, there it was wasn't. a there was a, was a, a revitalization of the, of the hippie movement in the in the late 80s. They no, profiled it, was it on the the 80s. it was the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite. No, no, no. Everyone they, was going back into their cul-de-sacs, into their nice little suburban lifestyles. No, I think I think this movie's getting away from capitalist pursuits, in spite of the very end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Ray. We got no choice. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes and they'll watch the game and it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters the memories will be so thick that I'll have to brush them away from their faces I think this is kind of getting away from kind of capitalist pursuits and just kind of pursuing the because there's another character who um uh, Terrence Mann comes to this realization too. Yes, I'm back into the ball field. Let's go find. Uh, and they hear this other voice uh, signaling another player who literally only had one at bat in the major leagues, mm-hmm. and went on to become a doctor. Yeah. Okay. This kind of confused me a bit. Okay. Um, is he like a time traveler? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it's really hard to tell when this movie's supposed to be taking place. You know, it's past the '60s. And I guess, you know, it's supposed to be taking place in quote-unquote modern day, it takes but it's place very in the, timeless. In the present day, 1989. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I can't believe you're getting hung up on the details for a movie in which ghosts come out of a cornfield and play baseball. <laughs> well, I was just confused, because again, stylistically, this movie has nothing going on. Oh, sure it does. Oh, There's really? that great opening shot, the crane shot. I love, how the, the, I love how the cameras are perfectly level, and they just, you know, everything's in focus. It's real nice. <laughs> no, there's there's a crane shot. It, it, it looks very angelic, This uh, <laughs> the opening shots of the of the cornfield, and, the, and it cranes down and kind of circles around Kevin Costner as he starts hearing these voices. Wow. Yeah. Crane I shot. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, I think a lesser movie, a TV movie perhaps, <laughs> would have just had a stand of camera. <laughs> Um, in a wide, but this movie doesn't do that. 
No. I think you missed not. something here. Oh, yeah. I don't think you're watching the same <laughs> I movie. think you're missing the whole subtext of the movie. <laughs> I, th- I think you're seeing a subtext that just isn't there. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> if anything, this movie is just text. <laughs> because we have characters explaining their uh, their deepest thoughts and desires. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. So anyway, uh, back to uh, disproving your argument <laughs> with this doctor character played by Burt Lancaster. Mm-hmm. He and the author character, that is now named Terrence Mann, played by James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. uh, take a road trip to Minnesota. And there, they're looking for this this player that apparently only played one at bat, and and they're trying to help him realize his dream of also playing in the big leagues for longer. Much like yes. much like Kevin Costner's dad. Kevin Costner's once character's again, dad, excuse me. Once again, the voices have guided them here, mm-hmm. based on nothing but a wing and a prayer. You know, it's great when your characters have a bunch of motivation. And, you know, they have to, like, figure things out. No, let's just have the voices tell them. And then they go. <laughs> Great. What, what would you rather, how would you rather they pursue this, John, without the voices telling know. them? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some conflict? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> then the movie, it doesn't happen. No, John, there's, there's clear conflict. Oh, really? Yes. There's... Oh, Terrence Mann's not going to go. And then he goes. <laughs> Ooh, that was close. It. Yes, he's not going to go until we share in a baseball game. If you're going to talk about inauthentic things about this movie, how about the portrait of Fenway Park? Ah, yes. Fenway Park looks so clean in this movie. That's how you know it's a fantasy. Idea. There, there isn't a, a, a line out of the ladies' room all the way to Lansdowne Street. That's how you know that they did not film during an actual game. No, and yeah, and then the, like they get a hot dog, and there's literally three attendants just standing there, with just waiting for their order. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, could, what was their extra budget? Like, couldn't they get more people in there? Make it feel... Or how about realistic extras? Who are those three guys? They're like 80 years old. Why are they demanding yeah, a concession yeah. stand? They need to get in Toomey and Tallinn and... <laughs> That's how you know it's Boston. Hey, yeah, Tom Mike Brady. And, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, they uh, go to Minnesota. He uh, travels through time. <laughs> yes, well, he's just taking a walk on the street, and the spirits have taken him back to about 1974. Mm-hmm. Not that, not that he, he meets, can tell, because the town hasn't changed. <laughs> he meets this old doctor. Played by Burt Lancaster. He, he had this chance to be a great ball player, mm-hmm. but he didn't take it. Nope. Instead, Johnny lived a purposeful life, doctoring. <laughs> not doctoring baseball, doctoring people. Of course. <laughs> to help them heal. Again, good capitalist pursuit. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Again, you assume that it's just about money. <laughs> Isn't it? No, again, it was about helping people. <laughs> again, this is not the, this is not this. I don't know what cynical subtext you're reading, but he's not like, nope. I had to go be a doctor, make that dough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he said I mean, my purpose was to it was to help people and help them heal. Well, what about grow. that line earlier in the movie, where that baseball player is talking about how he would play for free because he loves the game so much? Exactly. Well, obviously, not all of us have that luxury. Some of us don't all have that privilege. Some of us have to work for a living. Okay. <laughs> Well, exactly. He's he's doing it regardless of the capitalistic instincts, and he gets accused. You're accused in the same way that you're accusing. He gets accused of being a cheat. A uh, little history lesson: the uh, 1919 White Sox famously threw the World Series uh, because they didn't get paid a lot by the owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shoeless Joe Jackson was implicated in all this, in spite of uh, a lot of evidence to the contrary that he did not participate in this gambit. He played really well that World Series. There was no indication that he threw it. So, John, again, t- disapproving another notion of yours, <laughs> disabusing another notion of yours, that uh, again they're just they're just in it for the money. It's as in this as if as if this is just some late '80s fever dream. 
<laughs> oh, look, I'm not saying it's Wall Street. No. But I'm just saying it has a lot of the same parallels that you see in the Reagan 80s. Well, not not necessarily. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of similarities to Doc Holliday. Like, yeah, uh, that is true. Yeah, capitalist pursuits instead, like, you know, how about a simple pastoral life? I suppose. I mean, but again, you're 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 tying it too much to capitalism. I'm talking about culturally. I'm talking about like the liberal the liberal side of the 60s, you know, free love, question the man. Okay. You know, do drugs. That's what I'm saying. Okay. That well, why not, yeah, why don't we get to my least favorite scene then? <laughs> okay. Ooh, and that this the, rolls in nicely. Yes, the PTA meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Did this not ring true to you? <laughs> No, when you talk when you talk about a movie, maybe set, uh, a time travel movie, <laughs> this feels like it was set in the forties. <laughs> this book is smut. <laughs> yeah, we should explain. Kevin Costner and his wife, who's played by Amy Madison, who's terrible in this movie. <laughs> she's just smiling ear to ear every scene. Yeah, thank God she's Ed Harris's wife, because I don't think she, I don't think she could hack it on her own in Hollywood. Ouch. Yeah. Oof. Burn. Based on this performance, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe she's good in something else. Who knows? In any event, uh, they go to this PTA mo- meeting, and they're discussing whether to read uh, a book by this fictional author, Terrence Mann, mm-hmm. called The Boat Rocker. Do you want to know why it's called that, John? <laughs> why is it called The Boat Rocker? I'm sure I'm surprised they didn't call it Smatcher and the Smy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say, it's because this author is making waves. <laughs> oh... <laughs> And I, do, I execute my famous turn. <laughs> layers. There's so many layers. To exactly. This movie. And, and it's as if he's rocking boats himself with his transgressive literature. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, it's, these women, these uh, these concerned parents are straight out of the 40s like, we should burn this book. <laughs> but in reality, we, we haven't banned a book since at least 1971. <laughs> of course. And also, and of course, they're, they're and that's when, and I, I, but I will admit that this scene did make me kind of question again my thesis, which is that this movie is masquerading as a you know Reagan era ad, because you know we do see the wife again. I don't remember her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she's just credited as wife. She does stand up and she does say like you know we have to speak up for free speech. Again, she rouses everybody around and it's completely ridiculous. Oh, but yeah. again, like, you know, like, for a moment, it did feel like, all right, maybe I am wrong about this movie. And I say smut and filth like this has no place in our schools. Fascist. I like these herp Mrs. Kessenick, Mrs. Kessenick, that book you're waving about is hardly smut. It is considered by many critics to be the classic novel about the 1960s. It's pornography! No, 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 the Supreme Court says it's not. And its author, Mr. Mann... He is sick! Terence Mann is a Pulitzer Prize winner, and he is widely regarded as the finest satirist of his time. Yeah, well, I think he's a pervert. He's probably a communist, too. What planet are these people from? Mr. Harris, the so-called novels of Terrence Mann endorse promiscuity, godlessness, the mongrelization of the races, and disrespect to high-ranking officers of the United States Army. And that is why right-thinking school boards all across the country have been banning this man, S-H-I-T, since 1969. But then again, we go back to Terrence Mann and we find out, you know, how jaded and cynical he's become about, you know, what spirit he tried to encapsulate of the 1960s. 
And then again, I think it just so you went think, back you to... think the movie's casting him is wrong instead of oh, maybe yeah. I don't know coming around. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's casting think him so? as wrong because again, like, what's the lesson he needs to learn? He needs to go back to the country. He needs to forget about all his liberal city ways. <laughs> to he needs to return liberals. to simple times. He needs to learn no. If how anything, to play. he's he's maybe this is where there's some confusion. Kevin Costner's trying to pull him back into a public life, pull, pull him out of this this reclusive life he's made. For oh, himself. is he? Is he? Yes. So he can go travel into the cornfield and disappear forever. I That's going to be his public life, so he can become a ghost. <laughs> Well, yes, that's that's eventually where this whole story is going. <laughs> it's it's to basically usher James Earl Jones's character into heaven. <laughs> and the and other also thing too what is, again, it does, and also what it does is, again, I'll I'll go back to the 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 pastoral simple pleasures of baseball that I enjoyed about it. Mm-hmm. That doctor character, in addition to traveling back in time to converse with him and learn about his uh, his backstory, in that he only had one at bat in a game, or only only played a single inning in a major league mm-hmm. baseball game, never played again, went off to war, became a doctor. They actually pick up a a younger version of him, time travels to the present day, <laughs> hitches a ride with them, and gets to play on the ball field. Yep. That's and so how... yes, and through a series of contrivances, he has to. In what is the most slopsistic scene, <laughs> maybe in movie history, uh, just ridiculously contrived. He has to step off the baseball field. He's transported back to his 70s self. Mm-hmm. Uh, so helps he cure, he, helps he cure the young girl, but he got to live his dream, however momentarily. I think that's what the point of it was. And for the simple pleasure of the game and not necessarily, I don't know, what, whatever, like, you know, air-conditioned sunbelt, you know, <laughs> unregulated capitalist fever dream that you think this movie's trying to portray. <laughs> All right, I'm just I'm just trying to wrap my head around the physics. So as a ghost, as a younger ghost, he can hitchhike and pretty much roam wherever he wants free. But as soon as he yeah. gets on that ball field, that's it. That's over. Once yeah. he gets off that ball field, he reverts back to his 70 self, which is technically would be like 90 something now if he weren't a time traveler. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I I know, right? And you can can you believe there's a ghost played by Ray Liotta too? <laughs> okay, but not, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is, again, which is this movie has, it opens a scene with a conflict and that conflict is resolved by the end of that scene. Yes, it has to drive this whole scenario where um, Amy Madison's brother-in-law, played by mm-hmm. Timoth- Timothy Busfield, comes comes back into the scene, says, like, you have to sell the farm. You have to sell it to me. Yes. You're going to lose your farm unless yes. you sell it to me. And He's through some so contrivance, uh, their daughter is there eating a hot dog and then she falls off the little grandstand that they built. It causes her mm-hmm. to pass out and choke. Mm. And that requires this young player. So yeah, it's a series of contrivances, and everything has to be kind of resolved. Again, it's it's not so much a roller coaster. Like you're never worried about where the next scene's gonna go, because <laughs> as you said, it's been kind of resolved. So yes, uh, in terms of dramatic storytelling, probably not the best. Well, no, and then you get that following scene where Terrence Mann gets ushered into heaven. That's and true. What's the major conflict of that scene? Uh, you know, Kevin Costner feels like I should get the right to go. <laughs> and it's like no. You know, you have a family to think of. Don't think about you. Think about classic American family values. I, again, I don't know where you where you're paying with such a broad brush there. I think you're just confused in that we've this last week we've seen the greatest integration of politics and sports ever. <laughs> and I so I think that's what you're caught up with. I no no because I watched this movie. I watched this movie before that whole kerfuffle went down at like 3 a.m. on Twitter. I assume, but yeah. <laughs> And no, I was thinking about that the whole time I was watching this movie. Okay. I yeah. I 
I'm stunned by that. <laughs> and how dare you assume that I'm confused? But I, I think, again, I think you're jumping. You think to what, Greg? Here. You think what? I think I think you're jumping. Are to you trying to besmirch my good name? <laughs> Indeed, I am. My good film criticism bona fides. <laughs> yes, because um, I think where this movie excels and where it's considered a modern classic or something like that is in the tone that it establishes. Which, I, which, granted, you're right, is very pastoral. <laughs> Good, just go with me on this, huh? <laughs> wow, the tone is really consistent. Uh, yes. Put that on a poster. <laughs> the tone is consistent. The music is exceptional. No, it's not. Yes, it, it is does. so boring. It, it absorbed me. It absorbed me. Ugh, everything. There's nothing challenging about this movie. Uh, there, and there doesn't have to be. Is there anything challenging about watching a baseball game? <laughs> Other than maybe trying to do the calculations for war in your head? I don't know. <laughs> well, unless you count a $13 beer as a challenge, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, we got to talk about that, Major League Baseball owners. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, fine. You can make the argument that it's like there is a simplicity to this movie that is worth admiring. But for me, that just pushes it too far the other direction, and that just makes it boring. Okay, so you just found it dull. You found its unchallenging nature dull. Exactly. And you weren't by the end, which is what should emotionally grab you. Mm. Maybe if you did, ever did have a catch with father, maybe you'd understand. But <laughs> I had catches with father. <laughs> could could you reach him on your on your throws back? You know what? <laughs> There's no shame in doing underhand. All right. There's a whole sport based around it. It's called softball. Okay. How dare you? Yes. Basically, what all this is leading up to is a reconnection with his father, who comes back as a ghost out of the out of the cornfield. Mm-hmm. And they play catch. Yes, they have one final catch, and uh, yeah, it's a pretty emotionally rousing moment uh, for, for those of us whose hearts aren't made of stone. <laughs> but John, exp- explain to us why you thought this was this was a uh, Reagan era propaganda. Go ahead. I just explained it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I think I think it's taken more from simple pleasures and uncynical <laughs> pleasures, whereas you um, seem to think that it's that it's all based in this kind of generalized uh, capitalism is great. Um, I didn't say anything about capitalism. I said socially conservative values are good. I think that's the message of the movie. Well, John, how would would you have improved this movie with uh, something maybe a little more, I don't know, transgressive or challenging? I don't know. I think it maybe it would have, I think it would have been more challenging if maybe it did play with the idea that he is really crazy, that the voices really are just in his head. You know, like I was thinking about like Take Shelter. Take Shelter is one of like, a great movie because again it's like he's crazy but he knows he's crazy it's like it keeps it kind of fantastical because the visions he sees clearly can't be real but also he knows that and he's actively trying to get help and again like at the beginning of the film this is completely brushed off i'm starting to hear voices like you're losing it <laughs> like a sitcom it's okay, okay. it's toothless I, well, John, they didn't have a copy of the DSM-4 in 1989. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure the first DS, DDSM came out in, like, the 70s, DSM, okay? Yeah, I think, well, whatever, they didn't have it on their Iowa farmhouse. <laughs> and also, part two is Take Shelter building towards a rousing moment where Michael Shannon has a catch with his father. No. So you but can are see you telling how, me that's all this movie analogies. works its way up to? Then you might as well just have a short film about a guy playing catch with his father. 
I th but you need all that context. You need that opening narration. <laughs> oh, really? You need to have the time travel subplot and the doctor yes, who's only need, got yes, one you at bat. A, uh, you need a simple drive, <laughs> an unchallenging, <laughs> uh, conflictless ride between Iowa to Boston and back to Minnesota and back to Iowa. <laughs> what would what would this movie be without that scene in Fenway? <laughs> How are we supposed to know that baseball really is the purest sense of joy? Yeah, indeed, it is. <laughs> it's a simple pleasure of of playing and that connection. Uh, with the past, I mean, baseball has remained pretty much unchanged over its 150-plus year history. And, you know, yeah. it's a connection between family, fathers and sons. And what's wrong with that? <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I just want something a little more where, challenging. Okay, that's if I his think... father beat him, then maybe it would be a little more challenging. Like, how okay. can he accept to love his father? I don't know. Yeah. I think I think that's where that's where you're coming down, is that it's just fine. Whereas people like me elevate this movie to, you know, a, a sports classic because, you know, it's about fathers and sons and, and history and, and all that. So I think that's I think that's what I think that's the source of your anger. <laughs> As you sit back in your rocking chair and say, Those were the good old days. Mm -hmm, yep. Black when black people weren't so uppity. Yes. <laughs> like John, what does it say? <laughs> Again, Subtext. I, again you're it. projecting. I, I, again, it says Terrence Mann was a civil rights leader, and it laments that he's not that anymore. What else do you want it to say? He doesn't lament that he doesn't like. He's not lamenting that he never wanted to be in the first place. He saw how futile it was. That's why he gave up. That's why he gave up. And you think the movie comes down on that side? Yeah, right. So the civil rights fighting is useless. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't specifically say that, but it basically says like all that social change you fought for in the '60s. Yeah, where did that get you? Return to simpler times. <laughs> But it's not it. No, it's not lamenting that he went through it at all. <laughs> it's just taking. It's just okay. You you went that course in life. Like here's, let's let's give you this final dream. This this simple version of it. This uncomplicated version of it. It's acknowledging yeah. that uh, that the Baseball, civil rights era when was complicated. It wasn't fully integrated until the seventies. <laughs> what does that tell you? What was simpler times? What baseball wasn't fully integrated until the seventies, right? No. Okay. You're way off there. It was 1959 right. was the last Whatever. team to uh, integrate, and it was in fact the uh, Boston Red Sox because uh -huh. they had a horrible they had a horrible racist owner named Tom Yaki. Uh -huh. I'm not sure if that entered the author's mind. I think it's because he originally goes to uh, New Hampshire in the book to track down J.D. Salinger, and the Red Sox were the closest original team. I was thinking of Mormons. That's why I was thinking 1970s okay. was when the Mormons finally decided to let in black people. Yeah, great. <laughs> So, obviously, you're a history buff. I'm just saying there's a lot of there's a lot of way to go. Okay, indeed there is. Some people like you just like to wallow in the past. It's like not wallowing in the past. Again, it's a it's a quick boys. two hour you trip like to there. Wallow in the past, and your this, white America. This movie's like a little time trout. This movie's like a little time capsule. There's nothing wrong with escaping for two hours. Nah. <laughs> At least do it better. If I'm gonna escape for two hours, I'll watch Star Wars. Not this drivel. Okay. Maybe this is heaven. Good night, Ray. Good night, John. Hey, Dad? I'd like that.
Well, I feel like we made a lot of progress with you today. <laughs> Wait, you think you won? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't think. I know. <laughs> Again, this is. A, I should also explain that baseball is a game where there are winners and losers. <laughs> I'm thoroughly unconvinced, so clearly you did not win. I believe I, I, believe I have history on my side on this one. <laughs> Yeah, history always ends up being on the side of the white people, doesn't it? Interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Interesting. And a, and a 58 rating on Metacritic. <laughs> John, let's steer this boat back to calmer waters. How about that? That makes sense to me. Yep. But I want to rock the boat, Greg. <laughs> You're the boat I rocker get, himself. I want to get political. Okay. I'm shine a light on all of you, on all of this, okay? I'm going right. to open some minds. It may be morning in America, but John's been woke the whole time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. John, shine a spotlight. Make us make us all woke, please. <laughs> okay, so maybe the reason why I was thinking about that is because I have been watching something else this week. Okay. Every few years, PBS graces us with a new mi- miniseries from Florentine Films. Yes, I'm referring to the new Ken Burns <laughs> slash Lynn Novick Collabo, the Vietnam War. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. And like all classic Ken Burns films, it does not disappoint. Oh, no, I mean, he hasn't put out anything bad, other than maybe jazz. I mean, but. Jazz wasn't bad. It was just, <laughs> you know, it's as good as a white person doing a documentary on jazz can be. <laughs> I know. We won't throw a bone to the stupid people and accuse it of being boring. Cause just... <laughs> no, and it, well, the Vietnam War no. is definitely not boring. No, only stupid people. Stu- most... Only stupid people. Yes, I will condescend in that way. Only stupid people <laughs> think Ken Burns is boring. Yes, how dare you? Mm. How dare you? Yeah. But, John, tell us about the Vietnam War. Tell us about the Ken Burns Lynn Novak uh, joint, the, the Vietnam War. <laughs> um, stylistically, it still has a lot of his characteristics, although this one, the tone is much more dissonant. There's a lot more kind of smash cuts. Um, mm. He has a lot more video footage to use. So, you know, you still get those still photographs kind of backing out. And in the third episode, there literally is, you know, June 23rd, 1965. Dear Mom, Pa, I will be going to war soon. You know, very okay. oh, so civil like war. Actual yeah. letters and communications. Yeah, but what's Which weird is... Which was obviously huge in the Civil War and huge in uh, baseball mm-hmm. and other... Well, what's weird is he opens... Uh, he's focusing on this one family, this Crockett family. Mm-hmm. which he met in the process of researching this film. And he opens with that letter, but actually they have video and audio recordings that the family would send back to their son back and forth. And it's really mesmerizing because they're obviously interviewing the remaining members of the family, but also you get to hear uh, their son, uh, I think his name is Buddy Buddy, no- uh, Buddy Crockett. Like early days in the war, you see like kind of his enthusiasm in his voice, and just as it goes on, it just becomes lower and just more tired and it just kind of it's encapsulates you know the clusterfuck that was this conflict Mm. and uh i don't really know how political you can really call it because again he does history these are history documentaries and really all it is is context and but it's really you know hard not to draw the conclusions that obviously he wants you to draw which is that this was a gigantic colossal mess that was really fought for nothing. And both sides readily agree that. He interviews American soldiers, uh, Marines who fought in the war, but also Vietnam soldiers, you know, former members of the Viet Cong. Or the NLF, the okay. National Liberation Front. The Viet Cong was a derogatory name that the U.S. Army gave them. Got Fun it. Fact. Very informative. Okay. 
I'm only about four episodes through, but uh, it's just mesmerizing and hypnotic, and I just love every second of it. Yeah. Where is it? Where is it available? Uh, PBS.org. You can stream. Okay. The whole thing. Oh, you can stream the whole thing on PBS.org. Okay. Just mm-hmm. making sure, because that's yeah. what I also love about these documentaries: how accessible they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only on PBS, but also as some of them play on Netflix. I mean, just it, the it it's so they're so rich in history, mm-hmm. and also just uh, how also just like readily available they are i think it it shows like a, a level of bravery to them and mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that yeah he's kind of going out of <laughs> it sounds like he's evolving in his style a little bit yeah um there's one little tweak that uh, that he's included which i don't really like is a lot of uh visual aids okay like a lot of words on the screen and when they show like the number of soldiers they added the number counts up and they show the tallies and i found that very distracting Okay. Because, again, he's never really used those before. No. And maybe a little yeah. didactic. Yeah, exactly. It's just okay. kind of, like, distracting and uninformative. It's like, yeah, you just told me how many... You just told us where we are. You don't need to put the name there as well. And okay. you don't need to tell us how many soldiers they just sent in. You, you just told us that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yes, it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. So if you yeah. have the 20 hours to spare for it, please do. <laughs> I know you do. Jeez, what are you going to do? Watch Orange is the New Black again? Please. <laughs> That last season was garbage. <laughs> strange, strange reference. Okay. <laughs> what do you have for Spotlight, Greg? Well, John, I've got another baseball movie for you. Okay. That also is it, starts... a, it better be Eight Man Out. No, because <laughs> I don't like John Sales. John Sales is in general gets a thumbs down, thumbs down from me. Oh, really? John Sales, what a hack! But <laughs> the brave Phil <laughs> Phil Alden Robinson. I've, He's I've one of America's saying, greatest. I'm just saying in general, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm also not making a political statement that way because oh, I'm John Sales. I love unions. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now the truth comes out. <laughs> yes, indeed it does. <laughs> if you don't love Reagan, then you're being gaslit, everyone. Yep. All right, you yep. heard it here first. <laughs> yep. John, cast your mind back to 1994. I have a baseball movie that also stars T- Timothy Busfield. It, only this time, is a good guy. Mm. And that's the movie Little Big League. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Yes. I saw this actually recently on TV. Oh yeah, if if you have MLB Network mm-hmm. and it's uh, January in the middle of a Saturday <laughs> afternoon, you can catch Little Big League. <laughs> you will find it. It's just playing on a loop. Yep. Um, this is part a little context. This is part of a, a spate of movies uh, hoping to catch in uh, the wake of uh, Home Alone's runaway success. <laughs> wherein kids were suddenly geniuses and adults were all goofballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, this movie was refreshingly different. <laughs> he was a genius, but he was also flawed. He was a genius, also flawed, and also none of the uh, none of the adults are really cartoon characters. The, the, the big contrast with this movie was another um, kid enters the major leagues, and it was called Rookie of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> ah yes, the cinema classic rookie of yes, the year. Yes, now that is a now, that is a live action cartoon and is not held up, not held through the test of time. <laughs> However, as you could see, repeat viewing. Isn't Sinbad in that movie? Who's like the token black guy in that movie? I don't know. It might be Sinbad. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, as you can see, rookie of the year has not withstood the test of time. However, mm-hmm. repeat viewings on a little bit of Little Big League on MLB Network. <laughs> demonstrates its, its superior quality and I think part of that is because it's not it's it's more pitched at a tone of real life uh, mm-hmm. again you have a, a super kid genius mm-hmm. uh, but this time he uh, he inherits the Minnesota Twins from his father who's the owner, his grandfather who's the owner mm-hmm. 
and he appoints himself manager and uh, has to to kind of prove his worth. (laughs) Why don't all owners do that? (laughs) Well, to be fair, the owner was dead. (laughs) Okay, fair. And a lot of families do inherit the the team. Uh, I just don't know if those family members are 14 years old at the time. (laughs) I mean, it is a fantasy. As we know, Greg loves fantasy movies about it's, baseball. That's the thing. No, it's not, it's not a fantasy movie, and it does have great affection for baseball, but the little minutia. Uh, yeah, it is. Ex- it is quite grounded, surprisingly. Yes, uh, yeah. you do see chewing tobacco. You do see, you know, uh, characters swearing or something like that. Well, maybe not swearing or something like that, but you do yeah. see adults being cynical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it also kind of demonstrates life on the road is not always glamorous. No, and again, the. There's there's a reality of the situation where like uh, they're they obviously disapprove of being managed by a teenager, mm-hmm. but they they deal with it in a very uh, a very grounded and and down to earth way. You know, not not in a live action cartoon that you would expect uh, in another movie from this era. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, no, I... again, the stakes are the stakes are medium too. Stakes are realistic. <laughs> <laughs> They don't go on to win the World Series, and actually, I I wonder why in a lot of baseball movies they don't go to the World Series. They always win the pennant or the division or something like that. Well, it's it, because like again, like that's part of the reason why baseball, like football game, you know, it's like that's the final game. How do you do the World Series properly when it's like you have seven games you could potentially play? Uh, that's true. I thought maybe yeah. it's because the World Series is a trademark term and they just don't want to pay for it. I guess that's true. Sorry, I said Super Bowl. I meant big game. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about the big game. The big game. DM. <laughs> but anyway, go watch Little Big League. Good, sweet little movie. Yes, fine movie. Highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Even even you're on board, John. Even I'm on board. Yes. And isn't that what this show is really about? Yes. Getting people about... on board our, uh, on board this wonderful ship we have here. Yes, we're making waves across the internet with our podcast and our social media. So why don't you follow along? Just tie on your dinghy, just get on that Zodiac raft and travel across the waters to Twitter and follow us there. And then you can follow us to Facebook and like our page there. This metaphor is working out just fine. Yeah, I like where this is going. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you'll brave the rough seas to that email and email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. But, John, the waters have receded. Oh, dear. And now we're on Apple Podcasts. And now we're in the cove of Apple Podcasts. (laughs) And we're in the Great Bay of Stitcher, where you can leave a review and subscribe. Yes. There are stars, just yours for the taking. (laughs) Sea stars. Yes, this is so good. (laughs) Sea stars. (laughs) Again, great job. A-plus analogy job there. Thank you. (laughs) John, what are we watching next week? We are revisiting. I think it's the 40-year anniversary of Suspiria. Yes, indeed it was. It came out in 1977. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Dario Argento classic. Uh, mm-hmm. He hasn't done a whole lot of good films since. But <laughs> Oh, ouch. Burn. <laughs> Burn, you weird Italian guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll catch up on Dracula 3000 one of these days. Who knows? But <laughs> I wanted to do Jason in space. <laughs> Um, oh wait, me, sorry. Jason X. That's Jason, Jason X. X. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jason in Space was the German title. <laughs> yeah, get your, yeah, get your facts straight. But anyway, <laughs> this how about this little fact? We're watching Suspiria next week. Yes. So we hope you'll join us and uh, cha- get a change of underwear. It's gonna get <laughs> freaky. Oh yeah, we're entering October, which is spooky. 
Oh, spooky ghosts. <laughs> We're going to be doing lots of spooky movies. Yes, indeed we are. But John, people have that to look forward to next week. Mm-hmm. But until okay. then, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring.